Hello everyone, welcome to Indie's Augmented Reality Podcast. In this episode, our CEO Alex, CTO Norby and CPO Chaba discuss the differences between augmented, mixed and virtual reality. They talk about the limitations of AR, dispute the usefulness of 3D visualization in certain cases, and also analyze the role of Pokemon Go in the history of AR. Now let's get started. Can you guys explain to me what um, AR and MR technologies are and the difference between them? There's a lot of phrases flying around in the industry right now. And I think if we're honest, I think 75% of it is, is marketing speak. AR has existed for a long, long time in the same way that VR has existed for a long, long time. I think companies like Microsoft developed the initial principles around HoloLens, like the wearable glass, and I think they wanted to own their own phrase. And I think it was convenient for some of those companies to use that phrase. We internally agree most of the time that it's more like a matter of, of, uh, of marketing than a change in technology. From my personal perspective, a little bit like I, I, I take it from the spatial kind of um, approach for me. If you see that the basic augmented reality is more like flat reality, so just uh, overlay to the into into a camera view, while mixed reality also incorporates the space where you are at. Therefore, the content should be in 3D. That's the difference between the two in definition. Mm-hmm. Like augmented reality is really just overlaying information on top of a, a camera view or whatever uh, view that you have. It's a smart uh, uh, eye and it's just uh, on top of that. And mixed reality is just placing virtual, virtual digital objects in, into the space that you see. So for mixed reality, you need to be able to uh, scan and map the whole environment. For augmented reality, you don't really need to do that. I think it's important for companies and for big brands that are already in the space to try to own chunks of it. So there's a, what's happening in the AR market right now is a, is a land grab that everyone's looking at the just frightening amount of opportunity and trying to find a place where they're going to fit. So actually, if you own, if you create mixed reality, it's then much easier for you to say that you built yourself a niche. Um, and I think VR has probably gone through some similar stuff. From my perspective, I think AR and MR, whatever that means, I think it's it's the same thing. Augmenting a view with whatever it is. To me, the, the, the content or the, the material displayed is academic. It's, if my view is currently natural like this, and it's now not natural, and it's now having information pulled in from wherever, or it's showing 3D content, it's the same thing. I think the big distinction is is which, again, you see a lot online, which is very confusing for clients of ours, confusing for potential customers of products, is the AR, VR thing. They're talking cheese, they're they're, they're completely different industries. Um, What what, what about the HoloLens and and VR? The thing is that the use cases are different. So VR will be huge, of course, with uh, HoloLens and the space of mixed reality or augmented reality, what is the, um, um, I think that it will be bigger, definitely, and there's one important reason, because you need to to incorporate 
this information, the things that you are overlaying in the in the wearable devices, in the real world. So that kind of gives you superpowers. If you see, so you can interact in the daily life with the with the daily uh, with the people around you, but with extra contextual information. So therefore, it's a it's not that you are isolated in one space and like in VR with devices like Hololens, you can you know like extend the capabilities that you have as a human. That's that's why I think that it will be bigger. Yeah, I agree. It's just different usage. Because we are you want to escape your world and go into a virtual world and you want to just block out everything that you you are in. And with uh, AR you want or MR you want to uh, you want to extend your uh, your your real world. And with gaming, you want to play uh, inside your real world, uh, extended by virtual and digital objects. I think what's happened, it's been really interesting the way AR was kind of generally picking up interest in, let's say, general worldwide interest. And then and VR was kind of behind it on an approximately similar curve. And actually, last year, the majority of last year was well, maybe even the year before a little bit as well, was about people talking about VR and talking about how it's going to change A, B, and C, and D. And when people start talking about a revolution, it, now in my limited experience, that means when it's, it's not going to be. This is when the hype is, is kind of outpacing the tech and actually outpacing its kind of capability. And so VR was going to replace A, B, C, and D. Um, and in truth, it won't. Um, I think there's kind of now quite a lot of disillusionment. And I think what's happened is that some people who were in the VR space have now said, oh, well, we were kind of, we were interested in AR all along. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's where this mixed reality thing comes in a little bit. It's like, oh, we've always been a mixed reality company. It's like, well, you haven't really, you've been a VR business and you've realized that it's very hard to monetize VR, so you've moved into AR. But it's very difficult to admit, so you're, you're better off calling it MR. Um, <laughs> VR is a straight content play. I mean, there's a million people that will tell you that. If, if you don't have IP, if you don't have entertainment or education properties in it, it's just, it, it, it's actually going to be very difficult. It's kind of a similar principle to, to Netflix in that respect. It, there's no amount of amazing streaming technology that will be useful to you if you don't have anything to stream. So, you know, Disney leaving Netflix this week, I think, or last week, you know, that's terrifying for someone like Netflix. They can buy more servers, they can lower the price for the subscription, but without Disney giving you lots of exciting films, um, and VR is, is in that very, very similar position where actually, in truth, like, what is it you're going to consume? You know, it's going to take years before there's enough material on there. What about in terms of uh, limitations in AR? Lots of limitations, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, one biggest limitation, I think, is the, the processing power of the uh, devices, especially the handheld devices. Will that change eventually? Uh, absolutely. It, it changed a lot over the last uh, five years. Five, five years. <laughs> it's, uh, it's huge. Uh, the, the development of the processing power plus the uh, algorithms behind the image processing they just changed tremendously, and it's. Uh, I think it will just go faster 
and one of the limitations in mobile is the still you need to yeah. like hold the device in front of your head. So that's uh, for me that's the, the biggest limitation because the natural or the natural way that this technology needs to go is that it's in front of your eyes, right? So so wearable devices. So wearable devices we know that are not uh, consumer ready yet, but they will in the again things will change in the next five years a lot. And for now to have a glimpse about what this future will be, but trying to integrate this kind of experience while you have your hands on your uh, mobile device is, is still for me one of the, of the biggest um, um, limitations on the, on the technology. And uh, processing power, as you said, so it's interesting, for instance, that in, Ho in HoloLens they are integrating uh, not just CPU, GPU, they have the holographic processing unit, which is really mind-blowing the amount of, of processing power that is doing in real time just to map the, the space in, in which we are. So that's also kind of a, a glimpse into what the future will bring. To give you an idea of where it's evolved from, I think the first demo that we had on mobile was on a Nokia phone. I have no idea why. That was probably the only one we could get on at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The we best camera, probably um, the best camera. Yeah, I think so. They had like the best optics, I guess, mm. and that was. And, and we used to trawl around doing demos in various places. Um, lots in Germany at the time, I seem to remember. We used to go into a meeting, and the camera couldn't. If someone opened the blinds on the meeting room, it killed the tracking completely. So you used to walk in and then the first thing you would do is instead of introducing yourself, you would check where there was the least amount of direct natural light, which was a nightmare because you go into a large company's boardroom and it's designed to be super open and pretty. Um, and then you would put the marker down and you would open the application and it invariably would crash straight away. So you'd restart it, you'd get it working. And then it would render. We had one with a, I think it was like a Mini Cooper car, like a 3D model. And it was about, it was like 300, 400 polygon model. And it had, it was one color with no shading or anything. And when the tracking, when it tracked the marker, it would flicker continuously. So it was constantly trying to make a judgment about where the marker was, which Norby will explain to you. But that was, five years ago, six years ago. And even in the two years from 2009, 2010, it went at like rocket speed. So there was a company back in, at that point, a company called String, who developed what was a mind-blowing mobile tracking SDK. I remember seeing that and it was like nothing anyone had ever seen. It was light years away from it. Um, I don't know if they're really around anymore, but then came kind of a, a strong enough tracking that, that worked. And that was, that was literally in, probably in, probably in about 12 to 18 months, it was just impossible to keep up. And then it slowed down a bit, I think on mobile, yeah. kind of euphoria were they had limitations, a lot of land limitations, but before it became a kind of relatively strong standard. Um, but I think it, it, it's certainly the biggest issue, as those guys said, in terms of processing power was our ideas and what we wanted to make, we couldn't do on mobile. 
because every time we wanted to do it, Norby, for example, would just run into massive issues with, with what the actual SDK was capable of, what the device was capable of, like iPhone 2, 3, barely had a functioning internet browser, let alone the idea of like running like 250,000 polygon models or something. Yeah, or, that's, or, that's a lot of question. We, we had to use like, I'm not sure about the, the actual count, but the polygon, maximum polygon count that we could uh, effectively show on, uh, on uh, mobile was like 10,000, maybe even less for per scene. And now for the newer uh, devices, we can show about 500,000 or so, even, even bigger, depending on textures and uh, effects and uh, mm-hmm. other things. So it's, uh, the development is five hundred fold, fifty fold. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um... I was just thinking of that. With that, we built this application back in two thousand and eleven, twelve for the BBC and Fox for to launch Walking the Dinosaurs movie, and that was a brilliant case of what happens when your ideas outstrip the technology available to you at the time. Yes. And we had this. We had this idea of having the dinosaurs roam around on the landscape in the Isle of Wight. And uh, I think kind of to put it diplomatically, that was it was a challenging development. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the work that would be done on site. So the limitation, one of the big limitations back then was that it didn't have any spatial mapping. So we were triggering from a marker and then dinosaur was appearing 300 meters in front of you. But in order to calibrate that, you actually had to be in the Isle of Wight per location. So every time we made a change, someone had to get on an aeroplane and go and recalibrate it. Mm-hmm. Which was lovely, but yeah, yeah. Never again. Back to, to the HoloLens. So Microsoft used many medical-oriented examples, um, like a, a neurologist showing visual representations of the human brain to students. And they, they could see, rotate the image. It was much easier for medicine in a way, a much easier way to, to learn. Um, what is stopping this technology to become more prevalent in areas such as medicine and education? I, I don't know about medicine because I'm not sure why it's not widespread. I th- what I think from a technology point of view, uh, the field of view is too narrow. So you don't really see a lot. Uh, it's, it's like you are looking through a small window. Uh, and the other thing is, it's still uh, it's still fairly heavy the device and uh, invasive. In, so you will notice that you are using something, some technology to achieve something. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the the moment it becomes non-invasive, so it's it becomes invisible the technology itself. Uh, from the user uh, point of view, then it, it, it can get more widespread in those areas. That's my, my idea. But, but also, let's consider that it, it has been around for a year now. Mm-hmm. There are things like when you are, I was discussing with, with my dad about the, this on medicine because he's, he's, a, he's a doctor and I'm super excited about telling these things. But he also had some, some great points, like, okay, developers and content creators need to understand the needs that, they, that this specific field in medicine has. So it's not just to represent it, like, okay, there's a brain. Like, cool, you can see it. It's, it's already more engaging than see it to, to watch it on a, on a book or on a 
formal mm -hmm. something floating around. But also, how can you extend these uh, these um, the learning capabilities of the devices? Still, some work to to uh, close collaboration between educational institutions and, and developers. And and I think that that's what Microsoft is doing with the partnership program. So they are going to a specific. Um, medical schools to help them to understand. So I think that it's it's also important to to give the time to this technology to evolve. So that's the thing, because we could, I don't know, put outside in the world a uh, full body, 3D body that you can see or whatever, but how can you apply? You need to have the use case and you need to work closely with the, with the people that that's gonna use. And I think that it's uh, that's one of the reasons, and it's a good reason to give the, the the technology a time to evolve according to the needs of the people that will will use it. I think I think from a medical point of view, I mean we we as a company don't have that much experience in that side of things, but I think that our CEO um, would also argue that what is it? What's what's the problem that you're fixing that they didn't already have an answer to? So if you're a surgeon, for example, you are highly trained, especially in anatomy, for example. If you look at a body, I would say probably five times out of ten, they're already visualizing what's under it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And they know how stuff works. They, 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 I don't know if at this point in time, whether being able to visualize a relatively mediocre quality 3D model of a kidney is going to help someone who's going to operate on a kidney. Mm -hmm. I, does that make sense? I, I feel like it's. I feel like it looks great, mm -hmm. but from a doctor's point of view, they already know what they're doing. They've done this before. They've studied it for what is it, seven years plus. So, what other information are you giving? And I think it goes back to Chavez's point: is that, that you know, the it has to be developed in collaboration. Uh, it just, it, I, I don't think what's out there right now is really any. Uh, uh, it looks very, very interesting, but I think in truth, I you uh, Well, it's for instance interesting, when we were discussing this, uh, it was for instance when it replaced uh, a screen. So it's not a full 3D model. For instance, my dad makes a lot of endoscopy and these non-invasive uh, things. So basically his position is like this and always looking to a monitor on the, on the right side because that's the fixed position of the monitor. So we were like trying to, okay, but probably if you have like the monitor closer, you you will be focusing on what you are doing, and with the overlay of a screen of the of the streaming of what this uh, uh, device is is this little camera is watching inside the, the body. On the other hand, the this uh, is very specific practice. They also relied a lot on their hands, on the sense of when they are moving the camera, how they are moving the camera. So in that sense, it will be a little bit more invasive than helpful to put a, a screen on, on the side, but definitely is something there that it could be potentially used. But then we go back to, to what Norby said, that the field of view is really small, so it's more comfortable to see like a big screen in the, in the wall than a floating little screen that is just uh, around. Yeah, I think you often find in industries that they you think you're you're giving them a solution to the problem, and actually you're just you're adding a layer of confusion. And if you listen to them, they'll come back and say, "No, actually, all I want is a tiny little heads-up camera in the corner of my eye. That's I'm done. I don't need anything else." But then Hololens is probably not going to provide that. For the average consumer, the best uh, augmented reality devices are currently smartphones and tablets. Um, so. 
that bring us to Pokemon Go. That was a huge, huge thing. Uh, how important um, was it for the gaming, uh, for the mobile gaming? <laughs> and it's a really strong opinion on Pokemon Go, so I think that people... I know, I, I will be short and sweet. Pokemon Go was a great game with great IP, with a great brand, with great marketing, done well. It wasn't an AI application. It, it was, if you talk to anyone that actually played it for a longer term, it, they played it for many other reasons and a lot of them switched off the AR functionality. So I, I think to me, uh, that's my diplomatic answer. I, I think you have to be super careful when, you, it, it just went to me, it just went to show how important it is to have a great developed idea and a game and the AR functionality will either enhance that or it, will, it won't offer anything else. It's my personal opinion. Uh, I think one, one important effect of Pokemon Go was uh, they put augmented reality on the, on the map. out there, on the map. For better and for worse. But yeah, so it's <laughs> like, oh, Pokemon Go, augmented reality. So right now, you didn't really have to, well, you still had to explain what augmented reality is. But when you mentioned it, oh, Pokemon Go, okay, I know what you're talking about. So that, that uh, it, it wasn't like augmented, what? What kind of reality are you talking virtual about? Virtual reality. Yeah. So it's like, it's virtual reality. Yeah, it's like virtual reality. No, it's not. So it, I think it was important from that point of view. And I, I, so I, I may be wrong about it, but maybe that's when the AR hype started. Yeah, yeah, it helped, definitely. It, it, it helped. It opened a lot of conversation and it was like one of the of the many elements to to create this open conversation. However, it's it's again when you see in every you know like tech blog or newspaper like wow now augmented reality it's gonna be mainstream, it's gonna be huge, you're gonna be and no one is playing anymore. So oh the disillusion now it's not like the brands put a lot of money into we need to give technology a time to, to, to develop. So in that sense, yeah, good point that uh, the good side is that it creates awareness on the technology. It, it also helps to, to, to open the, the conversation. On the other side is like, again, if, if in the, this era of fake news or clickbait news, so everyone is looking for the next big headline. And then if it doesn't work in the next five minutes, you just start to blame on the technology. Well, it's not exactly the point. I think Niantic, the developer or a game development company, they, they, they were quite a part of Nintendo, I think. They, they're intelligent game developers. They, it, they will develop that principle, and I think the next one's going to be a Harry Potter franchise within the same engine. Um, that's, that's where it becomes really, really interesting from a commercial point of view. Um, I don't really think AR had really had that much to do with it in truth. No, I think it was initially like, oh, that's interesting, they switched it off. Yeah, exactly. If not, you, you, you shouldn't have this switch on the first place, like to switch off the Yeah, they thought about it. Yeah. I think if you talk to game developers who are usually kind of seasoned veterans of seeing, you know, kind of the, the older hacks of the gaming industry have seen it evolve from, from you know, kind of ZX Spectrum through to console wars, through to mobile, and now they'll tell you that the majority of the work they do is on mobile. Um, it will still be the course. Pong is as good a game as any other game in the world still. 
even if you control so it. If this conversation were like five years ago, we we're talking about like, it's finally the future of social media. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the same principle. Yeah. Unfortunately, the truth is always about halfway in between. We were saying earlier on that, again, if anyone tells you something's going to be a revolution, that's the time to question it even more rather than less. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about Indie, please visit us at www.industry.com.